All right, let's take our Bibles as we turn in them to our study of the book of Galatians. Once again, we focus our attention on Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 to 20. Verses 12 to 20. I want to read this for us and then we'll begin our time. The Apostle Paul says, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you for the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Father, we once again come to your word profound in every way, beyond our understanding, without the Spirit, reflecting your very nature and character and your desire for your people. And so we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, allow us to hear from you the things which you would have for us, help us to understand these things by your Spirit, give us clarity, and help us then to put these things into practice in our own life praising you for it all, thanking you for the way in which we are equipped to live here and now for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is hard. That was a statement made by one of my sister-in-laws to her young son when he was very young, dealing with the difficulties of his little life. She said to him, life is hard. And it's true. Life is hard. Life is, as we know, filled with all kinds of disappointments. It's filled with ups and downs between emotional upheavals and economic changes and things that go in our life with other family members and friends. There's strife that happens among family and friends jobs that we lose and jobs that we gain, and in the end, death, the struggle, the difficulty, the emotional upheaval of even death. All of life is hard, and it leaves one looking for a place to try to escape at times. How do I escape the things that are difficult in life? Life without Christ is even magnified like that. It is even more so like that. It is a hard road. And then 
by the miracle of God's grace, by His compassion upon you, He saves. And all in one moment, your spiritual eyes are now opened and you embrace Jesus Christ by faith. The smile that had left your face now returns to your face. And yet you find out that the circumstances of life have not really changed at all. There are still ups and downs. There are still emotional upheavals. There are still economic struggles. Family and friends seem to be now even more in strife. And their hatred of you seems to be increasing because you claim to know Christ. And as you look at life and realize life was hard before, now life is really hard. Maybe, maybe just giving up my old way of living was the wrong thing to do. Sometimes that kind of question enters our mind. Maybe this new thing called Christianity is not such a good thing. And then someone else comes along and says, hey, listen, listen, you can have Jesus and your old life. You can have Jesus in your life. You can profess to know Jesus and go back to your old life. Just go back if you really want to go forward. Don't have all of this trouble. Just go back. I don't know about you, but I wonder if you've ever been tempted by that kind of thinking in your own Christian life. Ever been tempted to go backwards? The fact that the Christian life is hard, that it's difficult, and so you think that going back to your old life is the way to live. I'm not... I'm not talking about or suggesting abandoning Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not even part of the equation. Just just take Him with you to that other life. Just, Just take Him in your baggage. Take Him in your luggage. The life that was easier than that life. Take Jesus to that life. The life where you had some trouble, but it wasn't the kind of trouble that you have now, in fact, life now, you would even describe as suffering. It's a suffering life. I don't know if you've ever had those kinds of thoughts, but that is what is happening here in Galatians with these believers. They are being tempted to go back. Tempted to take another path. Tempted to go on a different road. They're being told that the way forward is really the way back. That the way forward is where legitimate Christianity is, but it's backwards. It's, It's not, if you want to get forward into this legitimate Christianity, then you need to go backwards. And Paul's words here to them is simply this, summed up here in verse 12, really. I beg you, brethren, become as I am. Become as I am. Why? Why, Paul? Why would you want them to become as you are? Because Paul understands that suffering is the way forward. Suffering is 
the way forward. In fact, this is the way forward for every Christian, no matter the situation or the circumstance. The Christian life is a life called to suffering. Suffering is the way forward. And I believe that when we understand the underlying trouble with the Galatian believers, when we understand what they were being challenged with, then we can understand how to diagnose our own potential temptations to go backwards. Remember, remember the Galatians had begun very, very well, right? They had been saved the same way everyone is saved. They had been saved by the Spirit of God through faith in Christ. This is why Paul continues over and over and over again through the book of Galatians to say that it's the Spirit. You need to walk by the Spirit. You need to live by the Spirit. You got in by the Spirit. Now live by the Spirit because living by the Spirit is living by faith. And so they had begun by the Spirit through faith in Christ and they had learned to call God their Father. Their hearts were crying, Abba, Father, as he says here in chapter 4, verse 6. Paul has already reminded them that they began in this saving relationship by the power of the Spirit. It was the Spirit who brought you into this relationship. Their lives have been changed by the Spirit. And yet here, in the middle of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is fearing, or at least very concerned, that all of his discipleship work with them might have been in vain. All of the effort that he poured into them and all that he's taught them, he he's wondering if this is actually a vain practice. And so now he appeals to them as brothers in Christ. He appeals to them to imitate him, become as I am. Why? Because that was the true issue in their hearts. The true issue in their hearts was an issue that had to do with imitation who they were following. They were beginning to believe the Judaizers. They were beginning to believe those who had crept into the church and those who had been saying that salvation is not just believing in Jesus. It isn't by faith and therefore now you walk by faith. You put off the things of the the law, the old self. You, You put off all of these things that you assume you can do in order to gain some kind of righteousness. You put that off. They were saying, no, no, it's more than just believing in Jesus. It's doing. Christianity and spiritual living is about doing. You gain your justification by doing. And they're saying, you must, if you're going to be a legitimate Christian, you must be circumcised. Why would that be so appealing? Why would the Galatians get to the place where Paul has to say to them, as he says in verse chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Why would it be such a... a Uh, a concern for Paul that he says in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. 
Who was it that called them by the grace of Christ? It was God through the power of His Spirit who called them. And now they're changing? Now they're being tempted? Why would it be so appealing to go back? Well, simply because legitimate Christian living is hard. Living as a Christian is hard, particularly in their day. It was very hard. Because in the ancient times, just to say you believed in Jesus means clearly that life got a whole lot more difficult. I saw a sign recently being held up um, by somebody in one of the protests that was going on around our own country because of the abolishment of murdering babies at will that said, abolish Christianity. Someone when the protest was holding up a sign that said, abolish Christianity as if Christianity is the problem. Well, that's nothing really in comparison to what was happening in the day when the Galatians were walking the face of this earth. Because if you were a Jew that got saved, the stakes were even more so than even a Gentile in Galatia. In other words, their theological problem that the Galatians were having when it came to justification of how someone was justified before God is actually in the undercurrent of their theological problem, it's being driven by a moral problem. And what is that moral problem? It's simply this. They don't want to have a hard life. They don't want life to be difficult. They don't like suffering. Can I see a raise of hands if you love suffering? So we're just like them, aren't we? We don't like it. We don't like suffering. Suffering is hard. And so in order to mitigate their own suffering, in order to mitigate the consequences and the circumstances of life that would come upon them by following Jesus Christ by faith, the words of the Judaizers sounded pretty good. It sounded pretty good, but if the Galatians would follow Paul as Paul follows Christ, the reality is that all of their spiritual crisis would just fade away. They would no longer be in this crisis. That is simply to say that to understand the Christian life and not and to be unwavering about justification by faith alone you understand the Christian life and you understand that justification is by faith alone, you're going to be unwavering in that, then you must understand you also do understand that suffering is the way forward. And Paul lines this out for us here in these verses in three ways. Three ways that Paul highlights suffering being the way forward in this text tonight. And I just want to highlight these for us as we go on. So point number one is this. Legitimate Christianity is willing to suffer. Legitimate Christianity is willing to suffer. Paul says in verses 12 to 14, I beg of you, brethren, because as I am, for I have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you for the first time, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. 
but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Now, what is Paul doing? Paul is reminding these believers that when they initially embraced the gospel, when, when Paul brought the gospel to them, they were willing at that moment to be attacked and to suffer for Christ. They had embraced Christ by faith, and through their embracing Christ by faith, they were willing to, to be attacked by others, to suffer for Christ in their life. In fact, they were willing to do whatever they had to do by way of their own self-sacrifice to help Paul in whatever he needed. Notice what it says in verse 15, I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Obviously, Paul speaking in a hyperbolic fashion, he's not saying you, you should have plucked out your eyes. He's saying you would have gone to, to great lengths to your own suffering in order to, to just minister to me and help me. Why is that important? Why is that important when we think about the Apostle Paul and what he is saying to these believers? It's important because we cannot forget that when Paul came to Galatia, in fact, when Paul went to any area, for that matter, he came with a target on his back. The Apostle Paul was a number one wanted man to the Judaizers. To associate with the Apostle Paul was to associate with an unwanted disease. And so to embrace Paul was to embrace trouble. That's why Paul says what he says here in verse 13 and 14. You know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you for the first time, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you didn't despise and you didn't loathe. In other words, I have suffered for Christ, and my body bears witness to it, and regardless of that, you didn't run away from me. You, you received me in. And you go, well, Pastor, why, does that, why is that important? How does that show us that suffering is the way? Well, it's important for this reason. In the ancient world, anytime someone had the marks of their, on their body from suffering, it said something about them, either by way of they were a diseased person that had severe scarring that went about on their body because of the sickness, or they were someone who received that scarring at the hands of men. Therefore, they were a troubled person. They were seen to be either on the wrong side of the, the gods, the multiple gods that people worshipped, or they, were, they had some kind of trouble with the authorities around them, and so they had been in trouble and either been beaten by the authorities, which brought the scars. And all of that was a telltale sign of divine retribution on their life. So in the eyes of people who, who saw them, if you saw Paul and you had the mindset of, of just the secular people around, you would say, I'm keeping my distance from that guy because there's nothing but trouble associated with him. Either the gods are after him, he's been in trouble with the people, or he's got some sickness that I don't want to have anything to do. This is what makes Jesus so amazing at times when he just approaches people who are sick with, with all kinds of illnesses. Because those people, no one wanted to go near. And Jesus would just go to them. They're under a curse. 
They've been punished by the gods. Don't want to go to them for fear that it might come upon me. I may be treated like that. You've probably thought about that in your own life, you know. If lightning strikes close, you don't want to stand next to the person that got near. And I don't want to get near them, man. They've been close to the lightning strike. That's how they thought about Paul. But that's not how the Galatians received Paul. They were, it says, willing. They were willing to receive upon themselves whatever suffering might come their way by association with Paul, just by being around him. They didn't reject him. They didn't push him aside. They didn't say, hey, we don't want to have anything to do with you. They didn't, as Paul says, despise or loathe him. That word despise is the idea of spit upon him. That's what would happen. Much like in the Gospels in the uh, Luke chapter uh, 10, where the, the par- Jesus uses the parable of the Good Samaritan and the Pharisees pass on the side of the one who's there beaten. They pass on. They, they despise. They loathe the guy. The Samaritan helps him out. He said, you didn't despise me. You didn't loathe me. I wasn't like cool water in your mouth that you'd spew out. You received me as an angel from God. You received me as if I was Jesus Christ himself. This is incredible. That's a risky choice to make. We're going to hang around with that guy and and trouble's going to come my way? That's a risky choice for, for even in our day, let alone in their day. The fact that after you believe upon Jesus, your life could get a whole lot worse. They certainly would have faced social trouble if they believed upon Jesus Christ from their pagan friends. They couldn't, they could no longer worship with the, with the friends they used to go to the pagan church with. And so all of those friends would ostracize them because now they're following Jesus and they couldn't readily go into the Jewish synagogue because you had to become a proselyte to go into the Jewish synagogue. And that's what they're being tempted with. Listen, you want to be part of Christianity, the the real Christianity, legitimate Christianity, you need to be a proselyte Jew. Well, they're in the middle. They're ostracized. Ostracized from their old pagan friends. Ostracized from the Jewish authorities. So to embrace Christ meant that they would be turning their backs on all of that. They had turned their backs on all of that. They had embraced Christ. Christ came to them through the means of Paul as Paul preaches the gospel. And they didn't despise Paul. They didn't loathe Paul. They treated him as if he was Christ himself. So they would have found themselves in quite a predicament. Pagans over here, religious legalists over here. They were on the outs with the pagans. They couldn't embrace the Jews because of the requirements that were they would have to go through. This is Christianity. This is Christianity. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 10. Just turn over there for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll just begin in verse 19, read a a lengthy section here because it kind of 
talks to us about faith. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a grace high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Certainly some were in the habit of not not assembling together, probably because of the pressure of friends and family and others and the trouble of living the Christian life. Suffering's hard. Verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the consuming and the and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversary. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think will deserve who trample underfoot the Son of God? and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which the sanctif- by which he was sanctified and has insulted the holy the spirit of grace for we know him who said vengeance is mine i will repay and again the lord will judge his people so it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living god now here it is but remember remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings Partly being made a public spectacle through the reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. He says, listen, you came to know Christ by faith in Christ. You understand who Christ is. You're not turning your back on Christ. And you remember your former days that when you came to know Christ, when your eyes were opened and you began to walk by faith, there was this great conflict of suffering that went on. From what? From those who were making you a public spectacle as they spoke to you and reproached you and brought tribulations into your life, and partly by just identifying with those who were sharers with you in the struggle. The other Christians, you hung around with them, and because you hung around with them, that brought more trouble into life. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourself a a better possession, an abiding one. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Why? Because you have need for endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. We don't shrink back, he says in verse 39, to destruction. Those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And then you go into the great list of those who throughout the history, or the hall of faith there. This is what Paul is saying to the Galatian believers. Paul's saying, listen, become as I am. Be like me. Embrace what you embraced before. I understand to be with me is to suffer, but that's the way forward. To embrace Christ is to embrace suffering. To be a Christian is to is to walk the road that is a suffering road for Christ. Paul said the same thing to the Thessalonian believers. 
You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. So legitimate Christianity, beloved, is willing to suffer. That's the mindset. Uh, I didn't say legitimate Christianity loves suffering. Certainly, James says we are to consider it all joy when we face various difficulties. But we're not looking at the act of suffering as the joy. We're looking at what it produces. Legitimate Christianity is willing to suffer. Number two, legitimate Christianity looks at suffering eternally and not temporally. Legitimate Christianity looks at suffering eternally and not temporally. Paul continues in verse 15, Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, but not commendably. They wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. There had been in the Galatian believers a major shift in their perspective. Instead of looking at suffering as they did at first, where they embraced it, they would have even given their eyes. In fact, Paul uses the word here, where then is that sense of blessing you had? What sense of blessing are you talking about, Paul? The sense of blessing that you would have even given me your eyes or or my bodily condition you didn't despise, you didn't loathe. You saw it as a blessing. You saw it as Christ Himself being with you. Where's that sense of blessing? There, The suffering that you had at first, that suffering, that embracing of suffering that produced in you an eternal endurance. Where is that, Paul says? Something had changed. They had begun to look at suffering in a temporal way. They had begun to look at it as if it was something that could be mitigated by us here temporally. In other words, in their difficulties of life and in their response to those difficulties, they never they 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 forgot to look at them with an eternal perspective. They forgot to see them as an eternal blessing. Paul says, where is that sense of blessing you had? Blessing from associating with me. The blessing of the gospel coming to you. The joy that you had. The blessing of your salvation. The joy of knowing the Lord. The reality in your own heart and mind after you heard the gospel that your sin had been forgiven. That it didn't matter what others thought of you and how they treated you. None of that mattered to you. The blessing of knowing that no matter what has happened to you here, you are secure in Christ, that you cannot be snatched from the Father's hand. The blessedness of knowing that God cares for you and that He is your Father. Where is that sense? You were willing before, he says. You were willing to even rip out your own eyes if possible. Now, Now you won't even give me your attention, Paul says. We don't know what 
the ailment was that Paul had. I'm not even sure it was something wrong with his eyes. I, I think maybe even Paul is just using that as an expanded example of the depth at which they would go in order to serve him. There was no sense in which there was any way an eye transplant kind of idea going on in the ancient world. You say, Paul says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Here's the one who brought them the gospel, and now here's the one they're treating him as if he's wrong, as if he's the enemy, as if he's the one who shouldn't be listened to. How does that happen? How does that happen in the Christian realm? How did it happen to them? Well, we know how it happened with the Galatians. Certain Judaizers had come in, right? They were misleading them. They were trying to influence them, and it's, their influence is having an effect. Notice, it's having such an effect that Paul says, even over in chapter 5, verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I mean, it's, it's such an influence, it's had such an impact upon them that they, they are walking in such a way that it doesn't even, they're, they're not even following the truth, they're not even obeying the truth. The sad thing is, it happens the same way today. Most often a person begins to listen to the influence of someone who is biblically inaccurate. They buy off on some kind of subtle tr- subtle uh, pitch from some liberal, quote-unquote, Christian. They begin to follow the subtle changes, the undermining of the clear truth of God's Word. They no longer really take the Word of God for what it is. They begin to play fast and loose with how God defines who He is and how God defines what justification means and how God defines what sanctification looks like. And the next thing you know, you're abusing grace and you're thinking that Christianity can be lived lived out by giving up on this life, going back to the old life. You think you can just live your old life and still have Jesus attached to your life. So justification is accomplished in the end by your efforts. You think that if you live a certain way, if you do a certain thing, if you speak this way, or if you don't do that, if you just, ah, jump on the grace bandwagon. Begin, become a hyper-grace person, and everything is, ah, we're just under grace, and that's true, but they usually say that in order to avoid obedience. How mature am I in my own Christian practices? Look at me. You can live any way you want because after all, once saved, always saved. Isn't that true? Don't concern yourself with sanctification. Go ahead. Don't concern yourself with sin. You can't remove yourself from salvation anyway. All of those statements are true, but but the motive behind them are not so true. They're they're subtle. They're subtle undermining's of of what the scriptures do teach and and why the scriptures say we are to walk by the Spirit. So how how can I tell if there's a potential for being misled in that way? 
How can I tell in my own life if, if in my own Christianity there's subtle underminings taking place? Well, I'll tell you here. Well, first, watch out for the flatterer. Watch out for the flatterer. You say, well, who's that? Those who want to be with you because they think you're the best. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. They eagerly seek you, not commendably. They seek you. The Judaizers were seeking them. They were using words. They were using gestures that flattered the Galatian believers. Acting as if they wanted to really be with these folks. The Galatians were new believers. They were fresh off the the assembly line, if you will, of God's grace. The Judaizers were jealous to have them. That's the eagerly seek. They're jealous for them. Be cautious, beloved. Be cautious of those who love everything about you too quickly. Let me say that again. Be cautious of those who love everything about you too quickly. Think discerningly about cozying up to the clamoring of worldly people who seem to love you so much that they just want to hang around you. They may be, in fact, genuine, but you have to be cautious. You have to wash yourself. Watch out for the flatterer. Second, watch out for those who need you to be at their spiritual level so that you can be with them. Watch out for those who say you need to be like me in order for me to be with you. Verse 17, they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. You see, they're jealous for you, but not commendably. Here's how they want you. They want to shut you out in order that you might actually chase after them. It's almost a twofold in one package, isn't it? The flatterer, they want you So they say the things that will puff you up, but they keep their distance so that you will want them. Paul says, know this, they shut you out so that you'll want them. In other words, they aren't for you. They're really for self. They're not about your building up. They're not about your growth in Christ. They're not about pushing you towards the things of Christ. They're not about any of that. They're for self. And that's not legitimate Christianity. That's a fake. That's a fraud. Legitimate Christianity is willing to suffer. Legitimate Christianity looks at suffering eternally, not temporally. What the Judaizers wanted is to avoid suffering altogether. You say, how do you know that? Chapter 6. Notice what he says, chapter 6, verse 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh... Try to compel you to be circumcised. Why? Simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, these ones are flattering you and they're keeping their distance from you because they really want you to chase after them. And when you become like them, it's not because they want you to be Christ-like. It's simply because they don't want to be persecuted for Christ. They want to have Jesus, but the easy Jesus. They don't want to have the hard road. So they say what they say, they do what they do in order to 
bring you with them down that easy road. Number three. Number three. Legitimate Christianity sees suffering as purposeful. Legitimate Christianity sees suffering as purposeful. 18 through 20, but it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. Not only when I'm present with you, my children whom with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone because I, I'm just perplexed about you. Paul saying the purpose of suffering is Christ-likeness. That's what it is. It's Christ-likeness, not self-preservation. They, they don't want any kind of persecution. They're just trying to preserve self. And yet my desire for you, I want you to be like me, which is a road to suffering, because I want you to be like Christ. I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Oh, the Judaizers were proclaiming they wanted the Galatian believers, but not because they wanted to serve the Galatians. They didn't want to have any self-sacrifice in order to serve the Galatian believers in order to become like Christ. They weren't leading them to Christ-likeness. All they wanted was the Galatians to serve them. They seek you that you might seek them. That's the exact opposite of the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I don't want you, I don't want you serving me like that. I don't want. I don't want you so that you can serve me and make my life easy and and legitimize my own self. I, I don't want that. It's good to be sought after a good purpose. That's my desire for you. My desire for you is that Christ be formed in you. Paul says, "You want to you want a desire to be with me? That's great. But we're following Christ. We're going that direction, and that direction is the direction of suffering." Paul says, "My suffering has a purpose." All my suffering in all of this has a purpose. It's not about me. It's about Christ in you. It's about Christ in you. Paul says, I'm not seeking for ease. I'm not telling you these things so that life will be easy this side of heaven. That's to think temporally. I don't want life to be easy this side of heaven for the sake of ease this side of heaven. If that's God's choice in our life, that's God's choice. I just want us to be like Christ. My desire for you is Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness in me, Christ-likeness in you. And that has to do with eternity, not here. Yes, we deal with it here, but the ultimate reality is eternity with Christ. Paul says, I labor for your Christ-likeness. Whether I'm with you or whether I'm away. I'm, I'm, I'm laboring for your Christ-likeness. I'm praying for your Christ-likeness. And when I'm with you, I'm challenging you in Christ-like ways. This isn't about me. I remember years ago going through some struggles here, even in our own church, dealing with some issues, exposing some things that were going on. person that I was exposing thought I was exposing it for myself, that I was just propping my own self up. I thought to myself, wow, if that's what it's about, if it's about me propping myself up, I would have went the other direction because it's brought nothing in my life but trouble. 
If it was about ease for me, I wouldn't have gone down that road. How in the world could it be about me propping myself up? I think that's how the Apostle Paul must have felt. He said, all I've done is tell you the truth. All I've done is tell you the truth. It certainly hasn't made my life easy with you. And it certainly hasn't made my life easy with the Judaizers. Their situation is so serious to Paul that he says, I am perplexed about you. I'm perplexed about you. Paul's perplexity is at the place where he's wondering, do you even know the Lord? I'm perplexed about you. They're in a dangerous place spiritually. Dangerous place. Here's the Apostle Paul had shared the gospel with these people. They they embraced him. They embraced the gospel. They endured even suffering in their life. And now here they are in the precipice of this why in the road thinking about, I, I don't know, this has been hard. Life has been hard. I, I need to just go the other direction or potentially go the other direction. It's shocking, isn't it? It's shocking to think about. Professing Christians getting to the place where they are about to go back to the old life to the easy because the way forward is hard. We're all tempted with that. That is the Christian life, beloved. This is the way of suffering. The Christian life is the way of suffering. And if if we let self take center stage, if we are the center of our of what is going on, and it's about us in all of those things, we will look for ways around suffering for Christ. When it's an opportunity to share the gospel, we won't share the gospel because it might potentially make a rift in whatever relationship the gospel might touch upon, and so we just stay quiet. Or we'll we'll kind of just remain in the background when, when God wants us to be in the foreground. We won't speak the truth when we ought to speak the truth, and we won't stand for the things that we know our Scripture stands on, because after all, we live in a world that's gone nuts. It's going to bring trouble in my life. We need to have Christ at the center. Only when we're willing to suffer for Christ will we be willing to suffer with and for others so that Christ can be formed in them. See, when we're willing to suffer with Christ, when we're willing to stand with Christ, and very often and most often it's by yourself, alone, with Christ, will you be able to then expend yourself for the building up in Christ-likeness of others? And so Paul's words to them in verse 12 become words to all of us. Imitate Christ. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Why? Because suffering, beloved, is the only way forward. The only way forward. Let's pray. Father, We need your help. Help us to not want 
the life of ease. Help us to not long for it, to want it, to seek after it. Teach us to embrace suffering for knowing you. Knowing in our hearts that that is the way forward. Teach us to know and to have conviction about the reality that going back can never be the option in our minds. Teach us to follow you, to increase our faith in the midst of difficulty. Teach us to long for glory and know that suffering here is equipping us for glory. Lord, we'll thank you. Thank you for shaping us into Christ-likeness through the suffering and for protecting us from us. May you be reflected in us as we stand with Christ. All God's people said, Amen.